welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 101. That feels insane. Oh, the bottle just fell off the table. Um, yeah, kind of mad we've sort of hit that hit that level now. This will be the third podcast released in four days. So you're certainly getting spoiled for content in the minute. Um, the one on Saturday there was the 100th episode, such as the way numbers work. Uh, and we had a bit of an announcement there, obviously that the R2Cast people in food and farming is no longer the only part of this R- uh, of the R2Cast. We'll be integrating that all-in series as well, where we'll start to bring on more people from anywhere. You know, the only rule being they're not in food and farming. I still want to keep the people in food and farming F- uh, series going. Uh, so yeah, the first episode of that will be with Dylan Goodison's partner, Celtia. I don't know Celtia. Um, and Celtia, if I'm saying your name wrong, I apologise hugely. Um, Dylan was in my year at uni and has been to 59 countries since then. And we finished uni five, four years ago, I think. So, yeah, sort of flying around the world. Next person's a professional footballer. It's all quite exciting on that side of things. But today um, we have, I've had a few folk on the podcast before where I sort of write down the things I've done and try and give me a bit of an idea of where we're going to go in the podcast. But this person today seems to have done it all. <laughs> like, where do we start? Where do we stop? And uh, that person is Hannah Russell. Hannah, would you like to say hello? Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I think that's probably a good way to describe me. I've done it all. I seem to do everything and anything or any opportunity that comes along. But thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to be here today. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to A-Plan Rural for that. Yeah, not at all, not at all. I like I like bringing folk like yourself on that it's like, so tell me about yourself. And then it's like 40 things. So uh, yeah, it's going to be quite fun. Um, but yeah, let's let's just do that. Hannah. Could you give us a bit of a background to yourself? Who are you? <laughs> So I think uh, like the ways I sort of describe myself or how the media and how people have sort of described myself in like the last nine years, for example. So I'm down at the moment as like best-selling author, public speaker, rural entrepreneur, charity ambassador. And I've also just recently announced that I've opened up a visitor centre, which is based on my home in Swinton, Mass and North Yorkshire. But it's funny because through the I've been in business nine years now, so sort of since I was 17 years old. So, you know, I'm getting on. I'm 26 now. Um, But I've worked in business for quite a few years and I seem to have diversified from here, there and everywhere. But what's lovely is from the age of 17, like my first book was published. So over the last nine years, I've done a lot in my career, but I've always been an author as such. So I've always sort of stuck with my roots. It was always what I wanted to do Um, and I think to get to my end goal we were just talking about this before we jumped on the podcast my end goal was always always to have a visitor centre to be like an animal-based instructor where I could have a centre people general public could come along meet the animals see all the animals from the small holding 
meet the characters from the book um, and also get involved in like workshops and courses. Now to get to that point, you can't just suddenly say, right, I'm going to buy a farm and that's where I'm going to live. I mean, that would be an absolute dream. I'd have loved that when I was 17. It'd been amazing. Um, but actually to get to that point, it was in the back of my head as a dream and I wasn't really sure whether it would ever come around. I'm quite an ambitious person and I seem to sort of, over the years when I've gone like full force into something, it seems to have worked. I have had things that haven't worked, uh, but that was always the end goal. But over the last nine years, because I could like tell you about everything I've done, talk for hours. Um, but really, <laughs> I started as an author when I was 17. I was having a year off college uh, due to rehabilitation. So when I was 16, I dropped out of college. I wanted to be a sports instructor. Um, but unfortunately, I had an injury in my back. Um, and after that injury, when I was studying sports education, I actually couldn't physically get involved with the practical side of things at college. So I had a big com like conversation with my parents who didn't really want me to drop out of college, sort of were trying to encourage me to do other courses. But because sort of the pain I was like receiving in my back, we sort of agreed to have a year off college for rehabilitation. Now, during this year, I got Little Alf and Little Alf is who primary is who I write books about. Um, and when I got him, I had a year off college. He was seven months old. He'd been sort of rejected by his mum because he's got four so when I got him I spent literally every day with him I didn't have anything else to do um, I was literally going along to the yard I was breathing to him I was playing football I was clicker training and then in turn I was blogging about his day like on a diary entry and it just started off on like a little blog it wasn't really going anywhere I had about 10 followers of family and friends but then over time I kept at it and over the, the first year I just kept doing it and then it, it grew, its following kept growing um, and it didn't grow into thousands. It was just a few hundred to start with. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought there was just something in it. And then I started, as I started to get better in myself through the rehabilitation process. And I think the thing was like when I was going through the injury in my back and I'm not even afraid to talk about it now it wasn't like just physical it was a lot of mental sort of um you know sort of like mental health as well because a lot of my friends and um people who I'd grown up with were going off to university at the Willow to drive and in the first year like I, I couldn't do that I couldn't physically go out and learn to drive I had too much pain in my lower back and my hips while I was going through the recovery and it was really hard to see like your friends going off going out on nights out you know all the young farmers and things like this and it's just not something I, I could do at the time um, so that was really difficult but I had little Alf to give me a focus and just having him like I still I don't know where I would be without that um, and as I started to get get better I started looking at sort of other things I could do work-wise um, and I found out about a leadership award where I could take little Alf with me to the Riding for Disabled Association and I could become like a group leader uh, for children and adults with uh, disabilities so I started to do that and that was a lot of like equestrian therapy but what was nice is with little Alf being so small people could stand and groom him for the ones who couldn't ride they could just stand and groom little Alf and I really liked that because it resonated with me because he played such a big role in me in that first year and then the children and adults were connecting with little Alf so it was from like an animal therapy side of things 
So I loved that. Um, and then I decided randomly each week I was going along and taking that laugh and I was telling them stories about him, but they were magical adventure stories. And each week the children were waiting to find out more, um, which led to me thinking of the idea to write a book. So initially I just wrote a book. It was self-published and um, brought it out for the children and adults there in 2014. So it was a couple of years after getting Little Elf um, and brought out, it didn't sell well, you know, it was just a self-published book. I got some delivered to the house. I was really proud of it. Um, by no means, I was no full-time author. And I actually, at this point, had started working in, in an interior design shop and was doing a qualification as event manager because so I've had this big ambition to be an author, but I was earning no money. So that's sort of how my story started. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit of a random one, really. Very much so. And you know, the thing you say about like telling the magical stories, I, uh, I, I was going to say, I don't know if you know this or not, you will not know this. Uh, I was a farm tour guide last summer. Uh, and oh my God, it is the most rewarding little job on the planet. Like I was a, uh, <clears throat> you'd have kids there and I'd walk into the sort of the, the bit where the hens were and you'd pick up a wee bit of pineapple weed and you'd say, you know, this is very poisonous and you'd take a wee bite of it and then they'd go, oh, you can't do that, Wolf! And, try it. And, and one of the things I loved the most, I absolutely loved doing this, was <clears throat> obviously chickens of the gizzard, they need a bit of grit to, to digest and uh, I would be like, so what they do is they take a wee bit of grit and, and then I would actually eat a bit of grit and swallow it and all the kids were like, oh! <laughs> it's so it's so entertaining to just see their faces. It was so much fun. So I can totally see why that just hooked you, like absolutely hooked you. Um, that must have been like you mentioned, sort of the mental implications. It must have been hard that injury. I mean, you've got this potential career in front of you of of sports uh, coaching and so on and so forth, and suddenly that's taken taken from you. Now, that was that was at a young age itself at sixteen, but then moving on to seventeen, you've sort of dealt with that and almost come up with a plan on well okay this has happened let's work with it what I'm going to do is this I mean when I was 17 I was just learning how to start getting drunk and how to <laughs> um, you know and playing the PlayStation like having an actual plan I mean I'm just getting to stage now we're the same age at 26 of of maybe having a bit of a plan um so you must be pretty headstrong were you always like that were you always sort of like I've got this image and I'm going to get there I think so like I am a headstrong person and I am a chatty person I'm quite a forward person um and I like obviously I had my moments I think during that sort of time of unsure of the future and you know why why has this happened to me and like why is everyone off to college and like you know everyone's still in their friend groups and you know they're all social and going out drinking and learning to get drunk and stuff like that and I was like I'm not doing that but I think like I've always been a really positive person. And I was like, right, look, this has happened. I have to get better. I know I need to get better. So like, what what is the plan? Like, what can I do? And it was just, I'm quite someone who like, I'm quite a busy person. Like I like to do stuff like constantly. And, you know, my mum and dad were so supportive. Like I can't thank them enough. And to this day, they are the most supportive people in my life. Like, they keep me upright, my animals do, but my mum and dad, they're just, they, I cannot thank them enough for everything they've done. And, you know, when I just said, I don't want to go back to college and I, I wrote this book, they were like, right, that's fine. But like, it'd be good now that like, you're feeling better to get a part-time job, which is where like the interior design sort of shop had come from. So I ended up working there 
um, part-time and it was so lovely because the owner in the interior design shop she said you can put some of your books well it's just a one book you can put your book into the shop and you know I worked there for a, a good year and um, well I worked there for quite a long time but when I was working there in the, the first year what I'm gonna say is I only sold about five books I didn't sell many and I think when I ordered 20 mum bought 15 so that just shows like how supportive they are and at the same time so I worked in this interior design shop and then I also worked as an event manager. So I did three days in the interior design shop and I did two days as an event manager in the same town. So I was working in the same town um, doing both of these jobs. But it, it worked so well because both jobs allowed me to do still do my volunteering with charity with Little Alf. And then both jobs I got different skills from. So with the interior design job, I decided to do um, an interior design like qualification which was like graphic design. Now, if I never have done that graphic design course, I wouldn't illustrate quite a lot of my books now. And some of their illustrations, some of them books have sold thousands all around the world. Now, if I hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have like been able to illustrate my books or even knew how to do that skill. And then again, with the event management, that sort of learning my people skills. I used to be, believe it or not, you can't believe me. I used to be really shy. So without that like skill, I won't be chatting to people, won't know how to deal with like situations and challenges because event management is quite a stressful job to be honest and like just dealing with a lot of people um so without that then I wouldn't have got them skills and you know I was saying to you earlier that I've only just become sort of a full-time author in like the last four years so I worked in this interior design shop and I kept writing and mum and dad said look if you enjoy writing then um keep writing and like publish another book and keep self-publishing so for three years, I self-published uh, the sort of first three Little Alf adventure books. And, you know, I only sold, like, I think in the first three years, maybe sold 200 copies. And they were at local agricultural events. So where I did a couple of local library days. But I remember now, when, like, two or three people came, I wasn't, like, really well known online or anything like that. And sort of to get an agency, you have to be a literacy agent, which I didn't know what was when I was, like, 18, 19 years old. But... To have one you have to have in today's society quite a big public profile well I didn't have one I think by this point I had two three thousand followers so it was nothing so I just kept writing and I kept on with other jobs learning new skills um I learned how to drive and was doing all those things and then eventually my I was featured in um, a local newspaper and it was about like my story of little Alf and how he'd helped me sort of get through like a difficult time and when I was featured in there I was picked up by a northern uh, press agency and then they wanted to interview me and do my full story so I went ahead and did it because any PR is good and me sort of being 18 I think I was going on 19 years old didn't really have a clue like what what it was all about and you know even today I'm still like don't know what I'm doing half the time um, <laughs> yeah who does um Anyway, they did an interview on me and then the next day it was featured in the Times paper and it was like, all it was, was a little picture of me and little Alf and it just said, um, like, Yorkshire girl writes books on pony. From that, we were picked up by a literacy agency. So I went home and I had quite a few emails from literacy agencies wanting to have a meeting in London. I'd never been to London before, so oh. I was just saying earlier that I've got no spatial awareness in the city whatsoever. So I went down there, I was completely a duck out of water. But anyway got down there they wanted to sign me up and do like his true story on little elf and how he'd come to live with me and it was like an autobiography style book and I was like well 
at like 19 years old and not like have not allowed published is a bit yeah. weird like let's be honest I've not really done a lot of life experience but they loved the story of little Alf how I was building his blogs how he helped other people how we were helping the local community and all of the, this this that and the other and I understood it and then we'd started to do quite a lot of work for charities so I've become an ambassador for a couple of charities because I'm like quite a big believer if you've got like a big profile or if you've got a blog or if you can help a charity you can't help everyone but you can help someone you know social media can be used in a good way so they um took me on and they decided to publish this true story and then by the time it came to it being published I had about 10,000 followers on uh, one of my social media platforms so it was growing and people were looking at little Al from all around the world and then when that was published sort of four years after I'd first started writing um within a day that sold 35,000 copies all over the world it was called Little Alf, the true story of a pint-sized pony who found his forever home. And when that was published, that sort of really elevated like my career as such. And we became like even more well-known and it got published in Germany. And it still wasn't like, I didn't become like full-time author then, funnily enough. It mm. just, it took a bit of time after that. But we started to become more well-known and that sort of really helped like put Little Alf and me on the map. So... <laughs> Just just listen to that, you know, 35,000 copies. How how do you go from selling 20, 15 of which is your mum, uh, yeah. <laughs> to 35,000? Like that, I mean, it was mad. It, like, that day must have been the most insane day of your life so far. It was because I was actually down at... I, was, I did, in the early days, I did shows up and down the UK, agricultural shows, because I... I've always believed in what I'm doing from day one. And I was like, if I can make it work financially, whether it's going to a show, whether it's going somewhere and getting my name out there, then I'm going to like go do it and like just give it my all. And like some events I went to were a complete flop. You'd, you'd lose money. Like it just wasn't worth doing. But then sort of as Little Al's followers were becoming more well known and we sort of went into sort of getting 10,000 followers sort of knew I needed to be getting up there because this book was coming out and I remember I was down at Horse of the Year show so I had quite a big stand and I'd been invited as a guest to do like a guest speaking um thing on stage and talk about Little Alf he wasn't there um because it's all the way down in Birmingham and Little Alf doesn't like long trips he's a bit of a drama queen um, no so, wonder. well no wonder exactly so he was at home tucked up in bed and I'd gone down and I was with me mum and the day it was published was like the 5th of um, October 2017. And I remember because I was in bed and I knew it's publication day and I was launching it at Horse of the Year show, which is a big event anyway. I was in bed in Premier Inn and I was like looking on my phone to see if it had gone on to Amazon. It had gone on to Amazon the night before. Now I looked at like, it was like seven o'clock in the morning. I looked at it on my phone and it just said like, little Alf, the true story of a pint-sized pony. Um, who found his forever home and it just said bestseller and it was at number one and I was like in hysterics I was like jumping up and down the bed one was asleep I was like wake up she's like what are you making the noise at it was like just that little golden glow and just said bestseller on Amazon and I was just like I can't even to this day I can remember that morning because it just meant the absolute world to me like them four years, I suppose, of pushing the business and really believing what I was doing and trying to build a blog every day. And, you know, if you've got a blog or you've got a site or a business you're trying to build, you will put your passion into it every yeah. single day and you will you will look at it every single day. And, you know, things don't move some days. You're like, what, what else do I need to do? How do I get this to the next level? And some days you always feel like 
you're spending so much money and then you're just like oh god when's it gonna turn back around and but that day just was just such a highlight in my career and then it was my one of my agents rung me and just said she sold like thirty five thousand within like five hours um and we had a big spread in the daily mail and you know people were getting in touch from sort of up and down the UK or with tagging us in pictures and the book was actually for sale in a major retail store and had gone into Waterstones and that was like to me I didn't know that's what I wanted when I was 17 but I wanted to see it in like a bookshop I wanted to see it somewhere and I wanted it to be known as an author and like you know I, I actually failed English at school so that's the funny thing about it all so I've got 19 books published now all best-selling books so it's a funny thing about it all because I actually failed English at school I absolutely flopped it I didn't even bother doing my like exams in the end because I hated it and I'm so bad at spelling um and that really meant a lot to me because I felt like something I couldn't actually do I'd like gone undone I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Well, do you know, <clears throat> I'm obviously in education. I work in academia and first off, I got kicked out of English. They were like, they didn't, I didn't feel it. They were just like, it's probably best for everyone you're not here. Uh, so there, there is that sort of, I, I wasn't good at that side of things, but so I was working in academia. I do promote qualifications, but that passion and that drive is more important than anything behind you. Getting something behind you is brilliant. It's a great starting point. And it's, it's important to learn that knowledge base, depth and breadth. But um, it would be quite a, what's the word be? I can't think of the word, but to go into Waterstones and see your thing like that's that's just cool like that's just fun like a tangible book you have created um I I've got a question and I'm not trying to get into specifics here but 35,000 books I assume at that point you're like oh okay there's money here this is a thing I can do it's not just um something that's quite nice and so we've got extra money like I assume 35,000 books is quite a lot of money but at the same time I assume it costs a lot to produce 35,000 books yeah so I'm <laughs> like because I've got publishers they will they print the books and they're printed on demand which is a brilliant system because a lot of them are printed on demand some are stored in a warehouse and then they're shipped out and how I don't fully still understand the dynamics of book publishing because I know if I order 30 or hundred, they come to me and then I ship them out. But when that amount of copies were published, a lot of them were going through, they were selling through like the Daily Mail, Waterstones, Amazon. Now, from what I understand, each individual sort of retailer has holds so many books and then they work with companies that ship on demand. And then like how it works, and it's up to them what they sell them at. And then we just get like, as an agent, as a publisher, as an agent, as an author, you all get a set um sort of fee depends on what you sold that so it's like a royalty and you get them twice a year so you never know how many how much money you're going to get back from it because you don't know how much it's sold for so it's always a bit of a difficult one um but also a lot of authors get prepayments so you might get a prepayment of well god let's just say for example five grand you might get a prepayment now you have to make that five grand back when the first publish the publishers have to make that money back before they then uh, think about paying your royalty. So, and a lot of times you don't start getting royalties till a year after. So I was like completely oblivious to what money I would get. I was just like, 
well, we'll just have to see what happens because it wasn't, I was still wasn't my full-time career. I was still being working in the interior design shop and I was still doing my qualification as an interior designer. And I just stopped doing the event management because I decided that I was doing, Little Alpha's getting more well-known. I was going to become a full-time author. It was in my brain. And I was like, I'm going to become a full-time author. I'm going to do it. And Little Alpha's becoming more, more well-known. And I started going down like the merchandise route a little bit. So as I'd done my interior design qualification, when I was doing the graphic design, I started to do a lot of graphics for T-shirts. And I started to do a few of my own illustrations, which I thought could be published in future books. So I said, yes. right, I want to be like self-employed, work for the interior design company, but then also do like my books as well. So I sort of knocked the event management on the head. And it was also very stressful, to be honest. Um, so I sort of started to do this. Um, so like, yeah, I didn't know until like a good year after if it could like even pay to like be a full-time author. Um, but funny enough, it's really weird because I did like the interior design for the year after. And then it was really weird because I started to say to like my parents, I would love to have like a shop one day where um, I could actually have my books selling in the shop. My mum's an artist. So I was like, oh, it would work really well if we could have a shop and like we could sort of sell like stuff from the little laugh shop and people come visit and his following was growing and sort of had these ambitions. And so the year after, when my royalties came in, the shop that I was actually working in, the, the owner decided she, it was her time to sell on and leave. So really weirdly, all happened at the same time. I ended up actually purchasing like the shop as a business and going into the shop and having it as like Russell Home Interiors. So I had that shop for four years. And I thought, right, so I've got this shop. And the idea in my brain was people could come visit. Although I can't have a visitor centre just yet, I can still have a place people can come and visit. They can chat to me. They can talk about Little Alf. They can pick the books up. And it was in my market town of Laban, which is where I lived. And people knew him from the area. And you know what? It was absolute, like, brilliant move. It was the best thing I ever did. I loved working in that shop. Like, I did it for four years. Got sort of to the point, like, in the end where I was sort of spreading myself too thin. So I had, like, some staff members working for me, which was brilliant. But I started to work on interior design projects. But then I also wanted to be a full-time author. So I sort of needed to make a decision in the end. And then actually, just because life hadn't been challenging enough, when I was 21, I was diagnosed with sarcoma cancer. And we, then we had um, we had COVID. So I had a good four-year cancer battle. Um, eventually got remission last June. And then it was in that sort of four years where I was like, right, you know what? I'd fought in operations in four years. I had sarcoma cancer. Then I had skin cancer, which was probably one of if not the most challenging time of my life like we can say quite fairly it was very difficult because I'd lost a lot of weight in the initial instance and we didn't know what was wrong and then I found that I sarcoma cancer and I felt like I'd done a full circle again but actually like sat here now like you know I've come on the other side I've got my visitor center because during sort of the lockdown and being poorly I really reevaluated things I was like right I've been working too hard I've been really stressed out about work life is too short like I hadn't really spent a lot of time with my friends I was like you know now I really need to decide what I want to do in my career and although it has been a bit all over the place I'm so grateful for that now I need to decide um, so during sort of the cancer period and I was like once I get to the other side because it wasn't an option to not so once I get there I was like I would love to have like a centre one day so I started working on all of those and sort of kept going with the books and 
sort of during that time um I actually got to Valet Black Noah Sheep who regular feature on online with me so you know they helped me through sort of that period so again showing animals are brilliant for therapy I carried on writing our following has sort of grown now to like 50 like 50,000 followers and our pages are getting like 2 million views like a month it's it's crazy and the, you know the visitor center it's opening this June um so I've recently moved house in the last six months and you know set to do like animal courses and all sorts so I feel like I've got to where I need to be but without like reevaluating them that sort of challenging time I probably wouldn't have got to where I am now just listening to you I wonder if you'll ever get to where you want to be will you always be like I want this I want this I want it's this. really weird because <coughs> I don't want anything else now like I really so okay. it's strange because lots of people say to me you're you're so driven or what's next and I said nothing's next I said like I said to mum I am so settled I could not be so happy now like it's weird I float around in days and people are like you're so busy and I'm like I'm not like I literally will do a bit of computer work I love being out of my animals but I am so content now I feel like it's weird it's like I am where I need to be I don't want to be anywhere else I hardly leave the driveway because I love being at home like I don't need to be anywhere else now I love working with animals if I can I work with charities that connect animals with people now I do a lot of that which I don't post about because a lot of it's very confidential and private you know I work with people who've been through bereavement I work with cancer charities with children and adults who are going through similar things I've been through and then like I just know it is the right thing like I should be doing like I feel like I was born it's really cliche I feel like I was born to do this <laughs> but like just even just with the books like it's I've got 19 books published now and I had a, a letter before Christmas and it said it was from a girl who was having cancer treatment and she said that with my books really helped her get through that period and I was like that is why I do what I do because like for messages like that that means more to me than anything else you know we've won awards we've become best and authors blah, blah 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 but none of it matters like life matters like here and now matters like working with animals matters like if I can if I've got had some work experience students today and they're just brilliant like watching them click a train the goats seeing their connection with the animals see how much fun they're having I mean that's what life's about and you know it's so true and I mean for someone to be able to say I think skin cancer was the toughest challenge I've had shows that you have really went through difficulties and like you've came out stronger every time and you've brought something better each time. And, and what you say about life matters, like that, that's so true. You know, um, a, a teacher, like a primary school teacher sent me a photo today of uh, me on the screen, one of my BBC videos talking about food miles and the kids just looking at it. And I'm like, I don't need to do anything else today like that's so nice I just you know yeah exactly <clears throat> I think as well like in today's society people put too much I know like people put too much pressure on themselves I think obviously from the outlook looking at me I've done a lot and like obviously if I'm being through a lot to get to where I am but like it's not like I hope like I'm not there as a symbol like you know she's 26 she's achieved all this you need to go do that that's not what it's about for me like I think Someone said to me, like, give us a quote. I was doing this panel thing the other day, and like, give us a quote, like an ambitious quote. And I was like, 
you don't need to be ambitious I'm like it's one step at a time like take every day stop planning your future you're only young stop planning your future no matter what age you are just wake up take every day how you find it see how you feel like you know be aware of like your mental well-being and like your physical well-being as well because you spend your whole lives rushing around or working but just be there for the memories and I do loads of that now like I spend weekends with my friends my animals you know it's so important and like yes money makes the world go around but it's not the be all and end all it yes that's so true and it's you know there's I am petrified of tattoos right but there's one tattoo I want to get and I want it to be a tattoo that changes at some point in my life and I feel like you have hit that stage where it would have changed so the thing is, I've always wanted to get always be happy, never be satisfied. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And but my mom really profoundly said, I want you to be satisfied. And I was like, oh shit, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you want you want to be so it's really weird because it's like it's a weird feeling. I, I feel that must be, it must be a satisfied feeling that I feel because I just feel I feel light, I feel airy, I feel yeah. like I don't feel like I'm working towards like anything now. I get like I'm more emotional than I've ever been. I'm a, I'm a nightmare. Like little <laughs> things get me. Like, and I, I've always been no emotion. Like straight lay, straight right. to the point. No emotion, even for all the cancer treatment. Like didn't phase me. Just like into got diagnosed. I got home and I said to mum and dad, it was awful. I said to mum and dad, I was like, yeah. They said I've got stage three sarcoma cancer in my hip, and I'm gonna have to have an operation in two days' time. And I said it like that. And I was, that was it. My dad's like on his tractor upset yeah emotion mum's like emotional brother's emotional and I'm like no I'll be all right like I'm going in and I'll be absolutely fine like shrug it off <laughs> went upstairs had a coffee was absolutely fine like it, it didn't bother me and every time I got diagnosed with skin cancer after that I must have been a nightmare because I was like yeah I've had my operation and they said I've got skin cancer but you know I'll have the operation I'll be back home tomorrow and like and they must have hated me because some of my friends, you know, it, it's awful. It's just such a, you know, horrible thing to have to, as a parent, it must be awful. And, you know, yeah. someone else. But I was just, that was me, like straight, cut to die, get through it, on to the next thing. But like, that was always me. But now, now, if something that happened now, I'd be like, floods of tears, I'm like, life would stop, like, it would be awful. Like, I've just got, but I think that's because I'm so happy now and I think I've processed everything and there's a lot to go through when you're, you're young as well. But now I'm just like so emotional. Like when people connect with animals, I get emotional. When my work experience, they all passed their exams today. So I'm like stood balling like, yeah, it's been so good. <laughs> Try not to cry as a tutor at 26 year old. I'm like, no, no, it's good. <laughs> but that that's so nice. Like, I mean, um, if you go onto my Instagram from about three hours ago, uh, I had students uh, that are doing, they were making podcasts. And uh, I was like, if only you had someone that knew how to make a podcast, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was sort of teaching them through it and whatnot. And they come up with this idea to do mental health and farming. And oh, it's amazing. Really, yeah, it was really good. One. I mean, some of the topics they came up with was like amazing. Like, has women in farming gone too far? It was a really interesting take from two women. Um, uh, what was the other one? Is welfare directly proportionate to farm size? Like some really cool topics. Um, but these guys that were doing mental health and farming were going around the campus asking people to interview them. And I'm just sitting and they asked me and, and one of the uh, tutors, Stuart, to, to be interviewed. And I'm sitting there, like, answering these questions for them and just so proud. And it's so fun. And, like, the, the reason I mentioned that always be happy, never be satisfied thing, and never actually finished the next part, was um, one day I want to get to the stage where that satisfied thing is done. 
And, you know, it genuinely feels like at 26, I know I'm not at that stage. I am literally so lucky to be in the position that 99% of the time I'm just loving life and I'm happy and, and everything's yeah. But I'm still like, oh, well, you know, this, 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 this. You just seem like, oh, I'm so happy where I am. And that is so, what's the word? It's so, uh, I don't know. It's just so nice to see. Yeah, um, I think because, like, <clears throat> there's been so much emotion which probably wasn't processed when I was pouring and all of that. And I think I was always quite an old soul. Like, my mum had ME. She was diagnosed with ME, which yeah. is, like, a bit like chronic fatigue, when yeah. I was younger. And that was sort of one when I was six. And, like, my mum is probably the most inspiring person in my life. Like she, every day she was poorly, but she got up, she like, my dad was out at work because he had to go to work to earn the money for the family. But when we got up every day, she, you know, she did everything she could for my, me and my brother, even though she felt horrendous. And like, she's just the most inspiring person. And I think I was always an old soul because I was like, I'd go to the shops with mum, I'd count her money out. And I was very good at maths at school. I should have been an accountant, everyone always told me. And I think that was for that reason. But I was always such an old soul. And I think from a young age, my life was put into perspective. I knew, you know, mm. it was really like important to cherish the good days with mum because you know the good days where she felt really well, we could go to the park and it was just such a lovely memory. Whereas the other days, you know mum was like you know she'll always beat herself up about it because she's like you know you were brought up on like oven food and I, I couldn't do that about it because I was poorly I was like mum it doesn't matter you're here today we've got those memories like and I think from that we've always said like you know we've always been quite grown up in one sense so sort of over the years things have sort of dipped in and out and challenging times but we've always got through it and that's what's important the family time the memories a bit like you say it's just loving every day yeah shout out Hannah's mum and dad uh... It, yeah, it's it's the thing that matters, isn't it? You know that family side, and and for those of us, for those of us that are lucky enough to have that, like <laughs> you can you can come up with business plans and whatever, but it doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't like health is like health is wealth. Health is the most important thing, and I love that. Like your students are there wanting to do podcasts and talk about mental health because. It doesn't get talked about enough. I probably don't talk about it enough. I'm very like, my social media channels are very like animal orientated and they're very like fun and, you know, sort of hopefully engaging and people enjoy following them. But I, you know, we should all talk about it more because there is people out there struggling. It, it isn't yeah. easy. It isn't easy. And you can literally be, you can be on a working farm or you can be a business person and you, you can have all the things in the world. But actually, if you're not well mentally or you feel a bit lonely, then it's, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, it's almost become a bit of a theme. Funnily enough, for this podcast, I mean, I've filmed six episodes in the last five days. Uh, like, you, you speak to folk in those memories. You're speaking for an hour, so you're sort of... The, what you spoke about is there, it's in your head. And the episode I filmed last night was number 99, and it was with uh, Neil Barrett. And we spoke about mental health, and, like, we really spoke about mental health. Like, we went into it, and, and yeah. I opened it hugely, probably more than I ever had in the podcast. But I was, I was that person that... Kind of a bit like what you're saying there, dealing with trauma, just, I, I don't know if you were consciously doing it, but I was consciously putting a front on, like, everything's perfect, it doesn't matter, like, I'll get through this, let's pretend to everyone that I don't have any feelings and hopefully I can help them through it and forget about me, and then yeah. two years ago I, I had a tough time, and nothing like what you've went through, but a tough time, and, and I opened up about it, and now I am so open about it, and a few folk have said to me, oh, saw you sort of talk about this 
made it easier for me to talk about that. And that, that's, a, that's a win, you know, getting folks sort of open about what they're talking about, not hiding it in a jar and just, you know, suffering on your own. Let's say, no, it's and good. That's, it, like, that's so inspiring because I always say that if you can talk about stuff and you get to a level where you can, you are someone else's hope. And like how rewarding is that now for people to say to you that they've listened to you, you've talked about that. So it's made them be able to talk about it. I mean, how... Like it's so inspiring for you to do it as a person, but it just it means the world to you. Nothing else matters. If someone says you've helped them, that means so much more to you. And you are someone else's hope. If you can help them through that tough time, then you're someone else's hope. It's really weird because I've had two sides to this. I've had where I've talked about my cancer, my sarcoma and skin cancer, and I've had literally people close to me being like, You shouldn't talk about that. Um, because you know, because it's, people don't want to hear it and you're still talking about it and you you know you're in mission now and you're talking about it so you shouldn't talk about it and I'm like hang on like it didn't happen to you <laughs> it happened to me and I always say I am someone else's hope and the letters and the response and I've gone to hospital since and I've taken my dogs in as therapy dogs animal assisted therapy I've gone to centers I've worked with children worked with children going through it and I'm like I have like helped their children I've helped the families you know there's all these a lot's happened on the good side so why wouldn't you talk about it because I'm not ashamed so I was like if obviously you've got an issue don't read it don't follow me but like it's who I am and it's part of my story now and it's going to be with me for the rest of my life because every three months I still have checkups they are scary moments where your bloods don't come back right and then you have to go for more checkups I had a scan maybe about three months ago because I had a cyst in my arm and I, everybody thought it could be cancer and that was like a tough month again so you're gonna talk about it because these things happen it's life it's reality so why shouldn't you talk about it I like that you're someone else so I like that that's that's nice that's yeah yeah the, someone the said whole... it to me they said you're my daughter's hope and I was like mm, that's lovely that's big that's, that's like, mm. that was like that was that was a day of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah or a nice one to hear but a, a tough one at the same time the, the, there is that sort of mentality isn't there and, and I think it's more the older generation that oh we can't talk about this you know it, yeah. it was, the carpet is there for putting this under you know and it's uh, yeah. it was it's, it and like the people I was getting this response from it was the older generation not yeah. my parents obviously because they're so supportive but it was like maybe their friends I was like old generation older than that they were like why does she still talk about it or why is she putting that on social media or oh my god she's put her scar on like her facebook page on her hip and no one wants to see that and like everybody's telling me they've seen it and i'm like yeah but so what like it's reality it's my body like you can do what you want and like you like you say if someone has his hope it's lovely and it was like you know, a lot of my followers were going through it with me because they could see that I was just posting about Little Alf. I was never in the pictures or they saw me in the street and I was very skinny or I bloomed because I was on steroids or whatever else. And it was just like, why shouldn't you? You, you, you know, your scars are a story. They're a chapter as well. So why shouldn't you show them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I wasn't ashamed of them. So I was like, and actually them saying that it probably, I had a good, I said this to one of my best friends. I said, and I talk about it now, I probably had a good four to six months where I was like, what is wrong with my body? Like, I've got, yeah. like, why couldn't I show that? And I went through, like, this whole body image thing. So I was like, and then eventually I can't leave a side. And I was like, actually, the part of my story 
is part of me. What's wrong with a scan? I've got like 14 now from 14 operations, but it yeah. is what it is. But I think we live in a world where, unfortunately, it's not purely social media. It's society in general. Social media plays a massive part of it that anything short of perfection is failure. And it's so bad. Like, it it's is. so wrong. And it's so... It's not even archaic because that was never a thing. It's just, it's damning socially. It's a problem mainly for women, uh, yeah. but absolutely both men and women. 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think like it is it is men as well. It is men and women because obviously it's social media and it's society as well. And like it is, you can be walking along the street or you can be walking along, you bump into someone you know, and they can say something something to you which is upsetting you think why would you say that <laughs> or whatever else and it's like you can log on social media and you're like oh well why do I look like that or why haven't I achieved that or whatever else or yeah it's really strange and like I hopefully from what I do I hope I don't put that, that sort of perspective from sort of what I do and you, you try your best to sort of be the best you can be on social media but it is it's a scary world anyway it is it is yeah it is um yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Dear, it's, it's inspiring to hear you speak, Anna. We haven't actually really went into some of the things you do, though. We, we got so deep into that. Uh, obviously, best-selling author, um, many times over, uh, which is insane. Uh, we, we sort of focused in on the 35,000 in the first day. How many books have you sold total? Is that a figure you have, or...? Oh, it's not, but it's thousands now. Um, it's not one because I've been so I've been um, a published author nine years. So probably the first four years, like I spoke about earlier, when I published like maybe a couple of hundred copies. Um, but then I sold like the big lot when the thirty-five thousand was published. And after that, to be honest, like we became very much like got the shop, had that for four years, sold a lot through the shop, sold a lot through big retailers. But then since then, so I think at that stage when that autobiography was published, I only had five books published. I have 19 books published now and they are in different languages around the world, different ones. Um, so it's not a figure I have um, to this day. I'd love to know, but because my books are with different publishers, some are self-published for like sort of different reasons, some are with different publishers. You would literally have to nail everybody together and do like a big count up on the stock sheet. And like the other thing is a lot of the books are often published um, sort of when they're in different languages that are in different covers. They can be in different titles. Uh, yeah, and yeah. also for foreign countries, you you sell your right. Well, I do as an author. I sell my rights in that country so I could sell. Um, so say one of my books Bumble the Bunny I could sell that book to Spain for example once they bought their rights they take that book off and they do whatever they want with it and then they earn the royalties so when I sell them rights I don't know how much they could sell a million copies or they could sell 10,000 copies like I so wouldn't that, know because I don't it, get the royalty back on those is that like a one-off payment for you then that yeah so it's a, yeah so that's like a one-off payment so they take the book but you want that to happen like in different countries because actually trying to feel that would just be like yeah mind-boggling it's a scarier one though one-off though isn't it because you might you might be at the stage you've sold five thousand yeah and yeah. you're like oh well, i'll sell this rights for insert number it doesn't matter yeah but then you blow up and you're like, shit. <laughs> I'm so, I'm well, then so at the end of the day, so like I thought about this previously. So when I sold my autobiography rights, I also got royalty on those, but I took a bigger, I took a bigger rights 
then I did a royalty. Now, in hindsight, probably a mistake because I sold a lot of copies, but I didn't know how many I was going to sell. But actually, if you think about it, that blows up in a country, it blows up in Germany or wherever, which it has done since. You actually you get the followers, but actually quite often you get the retail sales coming through to your website as well. So I've got 135 products on my Hannah Littlehouse from Friends website now. So you get you get actually sales coming through and actually as a woman like as a one woman having one business so it's me I, I don't have anyone employed mum and dad for your health um so doing that actually on my own and so say for example you blow up in Germany like we were speaking about and you get a lot of sales on your merchandise actually me to feel that on my own like it's it's enough and that that's enough of an income um yeah. so it's great and you know obviously yeah it'd be great if you got all that royalty but actually it's good for publicity at the end of the day and you can guarantee they go buy your own books because i love you as an author so that's good as well so i take it you sell the rights to individual books not your products in, as a whole yeah so like it's just my books my books so with my different publishers you sell like different rights to them some of my books are self-published which have been really successful um and that is because i decided to do that in the last year because i thought i'd trial and error it because i am quite well established as an author now and have a growing following i wanted to see how and the other reason is because it's like I do a lot of my own illustrations and graphics now. So I know everything of how to put a book together. And I, I know the publishing sites you can put them on self-publish and it still goes into the big retail stores. So actually you're sort of cutting out two people in the middle. I thought I'd give it a go. And I thought, well, if it don't work, I've got nothing to lose because really I've just spent a bit of time illustrating and writing. Um, so you maybe spent like an hour each day for like, I don't know, six weeks to six months, but you know, it's worth giving it a go because it's part of your career. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't go well, you can talk about that in the future. Um, but I've done that a couple of times now and it's actually gone really, really well, which is good. Um, and it's just been a case of like publishing the book, like putting it all together, all the hours of work, put it on your website, signing people up for pre-orders. Um, and I actually work on a dropship system. So actually I don't have any initial like outlay. Um, and that's that's gone really well. So I'm really pleased with that. Whether it'll be something I do more of in the future, it might be, it might not. We'll just see what happens. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Excellent, excellent. It's, you had 19 books just blows my mind. I'm going to say something, and you're a, I think you. I think I'll be judged for this. I have never read a book in my life, and it's not <laughs> strictly a proud thing or like a... My brother oh, hasn't book. either. Oh, okay, so I'm not the only one. That's good. So you're not the only one. And like, I know actually a few of my friends have never read a book in their life. They were very magazine people or they're very like just comic books. They were never yeah. into, never into like the, the books, which is absolutely fine. I mean, I was, I failed English at school, but I was a bookworm. So actually 
in hindsight, I've gone on to be an author, but I love reading. I was reading like very, I was reading like all the Harry Potters when I was like six years old. I was really into like big books. I loved them. Um, and actually I did B-Tech Agricultural at school and I love that. I love, because I didn't do science, I did agricultural instead. Went to a school in the Dales and that's what they offered. So I did that and actually bringing my animals, my reading together, it's actually yeah. worked to be my career today. Excellent, excellent. It's, you know, it's funny, like I... Uh... This podcast became a thing because I started doing interviews with people where I just basically phoned them. So I'd phone you for an hour and I'd write a thousand words about you. And oh, uh, okay. you can feel free to like go onto Facebook, type rural to kitchen and people in far people in farming and they will come up. Okay, um, <laughs> there's 26 of them, but I can't write, right? I have a very I've got a master's degree, right? But all of my tutors have said your biggest challenge is you're a sort of journalistic writer as opposed to a, an academic writer. And then I went into the journalism side and I couldn't do it. <laughs> right. So I wrote these stories and folk were like, oh, it's quite fun. But um, we know you're better on camera. So that's why this started. But the ability to get a story over in the written word is something that just baffles me and fair play to you. No, um, like I completely get that. I think like although I've got one autobiography published and that there is plans to do more. I'm not very good at like factual, like mm. just what's true information regarding actually putting it on paper and like actually getting stories and putting it down there. I had help when I did the autobiographies from someone from my agency and she helped sort of pave it out of me because apparently I was being too bland. Um, so like there's that, but I'm very like fictional, like very fictional, very like magic, adventure, like making up children's stories and like never like thought I'd work sort of with children, but like I always really enjoy it. And like it's nice to have that sort of, I believe sort of feeling when you are young and that's what I've always sort of enjoyed doing so I understand where you're coming from from the sort of like writing about people's true sort of yeah. things it is difficult but you are so creative because actually to be able to sit there and to interview people that is like really hard to do it is actually and we we're speaking about this today and I was talking about those podcasts the students were doing I said to the guy interviewing me he's my student um I just can't say his name uh I was like, have you done this before? And he's like, nah. And I was like, I am so impressed. You've asked four questions to us with no prompt, with nothing. The second I answer the first question, you're banging with the, the, the second. Like, that's a talent. That is, yeah. And we spoke about it. There's like two sides to your brain on that side. You've got the, so you've said something to me about whatever. I then got to respond to that. Let's talk about that. Let's see what you're saying. Let's see if there's some more to talk about that. But on this side, I've got to have, Right, this next question, um, and it's it's a it's a, it's well, I guess it is a skill. I just hate seeing things about myself being a skill, but it is. It's a it's it's a new a new not a new. It's a thing you have to learn. Um, but the written side was one I struggled with. Yeah. Um, if if you went onto if you went onto your Instagram, uh, Hannah, you would find endless things you do. As I said at the start, uh, author, all this sort of thing. But one thing that does pop up is uh, is it occasional? I think you've written TV, um, something like that. <laughs> Tell us what that yeah. Well, I just like occasionally pop up now and again. I like put it on there because it was like I know that one of my friends works in the agriculture industry and she's like occasional TV. So occasionally you're there, occasionally you're not. And it's been like for me, it was like I started off I did a bit with a Brooks charity action for working horses, donkeys and mules. Such a long charity name, but they're amazing. And I actually flew out to Kenya with them and we did some oh. uh, filming when I was there. So 
that was I think aired on it was aired on a lot of social media channels and then it was on like horse and country tv so that was that that was years ago then again with the same charity I did some interview work about every horse remembered which was to do with it was a hundred years since the end of the first world war so I went on I did some interviewing with like other ambassadors and that was on it was on some sort of channel I can't actually remember this day now but these things kept featuring on like, my Instagram or my Facebook. And then suddenly I popped up at the Great Yorkshire Showground and I'm stuck with the Yorkshire Vets and I'm doing some interviews there. And then next thing you know, you're sort of having conversations with like the Yorkshire Vet and appearing on there. So it's just like randomly, I just popped up over the years. <laughs> and then last year when the sheep um, sort of came about and we were doing the story on how they helped me through like the cancer time, a bit I started popping up on all these like sort of pet programs and talking about the sheep and then I was on all my local tv channels um so then I ended up doing that and then there's a lot of conversations now um with my profile growing I've got a lot this week and next week I won't say who but there is a lot of conversations about where I'm going to be featured a lot more so it's just like everyone gets saying oh you're occasionally on tv or you're occasionally doing this and I was like Oh, I'll just put it in there occasional and there's quite a few bits on my feed where I'm either on it or interviewing someone or doing something mm. so it's like it's not something I do full-time like at the moment but it's something that is sort of in in the pipeline to do a bit more of you'll be swapping occasional for often soon enough <laughs> for often soon every day <laughs> we'll see like I don't know I love so much what I do I, I don't think I commit to doing something like that all the time but it, obviously it's great publicity at the end of the day yeah yeah, and it's good fun as well, isn't it's it? It's opportunities. I think yeah. we, we spoke about this earlier. If an opportunity comes along and you just maybe me, give it a go, see how it goes. If you don't enjoy it, like you've got, you know, at least you've got no regrets and yeah, exactly. just go for it. Every horse remembered uh, brings a story to mind that I'm sure you'll like. Uh, so if you look at Scotland, right, there's the southwest coast, there's a there's an island. The most south coast, uh, south southerly island off the west coast of Scotland is called Arran. That's where I'm from, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, when you said about every horse remembered it, I was in a play when I was younger. Well, maybe it was my last year at school. I was in a play called A Horse for Every Man That Died. And the reason for that was um, 500 men from, and it was men, it wasn't 500 people, it was men from what I remember of the title, went from, uh, went from Arran to war. In, in the First World War, 80 died and 80 horses went, right? And it was this story that was all about the importance of horses in the war. And I like that. I want to sort of see that every horse remembered because they sound like the similar story. And it was, it, we did it on stage in front, I don't know, 250 folk, four nights in a row. And there was never a dry eye in the thing because it was true. It was using real people from the island. It was using actual family members and all this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's quite nice. I quite like to quite like to see that. Yeah, um, it's really inspiring. Like I, I did it for a year because it was a hundred years since the end of the First World War. So I did that, and then we did like a big, uh, we did like a sort of TV thing on it, and then we did all the ambassadors got together and they talked about what our animals meant to us and then how they've been used in the war. And it was lovely because we actually ended up down in London working with the royal family because Camilla is actually a patron too sort of the charities who ended up going down there and getting special reward and awards for it uh, which was lovely but it was just so brilliant to hear all the stories and how they've gone to war and again like you say it was very emotional there was no dry dry eye in the house then and it was just just such a, a lovely thing to be like see how 
horses have played a role in history. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, they've been very important for, and are, actually. I said that as if they weren't, have been for some time and will continue to be. Uh, I can tell from hearing you speak, speaking is something that comes completely naturally to you. Well, you did say you were shy and you were younger. And I feel like that's quite normal. I have a lot of folk on that, um, you know, I feel like you speak to them for hours and hours and hours. And they're like, oh, you know, 10 years ago, you would have never seen this from me. And yeah. I'm probably one of those, fairness, but um, you do quite a bit of public speaking. When does that come in? I do a lot of that now and it seems to be coming more and more like June I've got one week I've got five days public speaking and I was like I will lose my voice because I taught for England and I was like I will not be able to like stop but like June is just chocker it started off like just locally to be honest I got asked to do it must have been like four I will actually funnily enough I went back to the first school on World Book Day that I first did a talk at this year. So we were talking about this. And so I was asked to all like local primary schools started off at one, then I was asked to another, then I was asked to another. And it was like, like four or five years ago, way before COVID, when I first was like a published author. So a long time ago, I was published um, like the first year and then I was asked to this local school. And I remember going along, we were talking about it this World Book Day, and we said I was really shy, I didn't talk for very long, just said I published a book about Little Alf, I spoke a bit about Little Alf, and that was it. And a few of the children had bought money into buy books, and I remember doing it, and weirdly I went back to the same school this like World Book Day, I spoke for like an hour, the teachers were stood there, like still the same teachers, saying like they can't believe what's happened how much has happened in the years and it was really like it was really humble like it was really like wholesome to go because it was just so lovely to see how much of a difference it was but it started with local schools and then I started going to like rotary clubs WI clubs women's groups women's lunch clubs and it's always been for me a word of mouth thing I've never had to push it I've always just said I'd do it and like this year, my diary is like full with public speaking because it's been a word of mouth thing. And it started off like just in the local area. And it's like expanded now up and down Yorkshire. And then it's gone as far as like going down to London, uh, working with the Oxford School of Royal, um, going up to Edinburgh. Like it's going like now sort of up and down the UK. And like sort of I try and do well at the moment, sort of how my diary is sort of aligning is I'm sort of doing four sort of big public speaking events a month. And that's sort of how it's going. Um, sometimes it'll be charities I work with, but quite often it's um, for a month. It can be like a group or it could be a school. Really strangely, it's not so much schools. So I've probably only done about 15 schools in my entire public speaking career. It's generally groups um, that I go along and speak to or sort of big business organisations. And I just do an hour of talking like we are now about my career and like what I've been through, the challenging times and like where I am today. And it's inspiring because not only do you get up there and talk, but people often enjoy it. I've never had no one not, so touch wood, still keeps going. Um, but it's inspiring because you also hear how people have like resonated with your story or the ones who've never heard of you before, they come to you afterwards. And I've had some lovely reviews and it's just so nice to get out and meet other people as well. It's a, it's a great experience. I love it. I mean, I'm definitely not doing four, four or five in a week, but, um, you know, maybe four or five each month throughout the summer. But uh it's great fun and you meet some I like you say this whole thing is about meeting people you know that it is it's just is, about like it, well it's public speaking isn't it and it's just nice if you can make like that one person's day I mean there's people who like I've it's weird because I did a big book signing um over Easter 
and it's weird because I've been a publisher for nine years now and there was a girl who came along to see me and she's like she's now grown up nine years she's a teenager now she said oh I, I bought your first book and I came to your public speaking when you were younger and like she was like and now I still follow you and she's like I just find you really inspiring and you know just doing that one public speaking event and someone saying that to you that that means a lot as well well that's the thing nine years is a long time I mean, you're t- we're, we're both 26. I'm getting that, old. <laughs> I know, it, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, well, you're, you're one year off that being, it's more than a third of your life at the minute, yeah? And yeah. We don't really count the first nine because we're not really aware of what's happening, you know? So it's really half of what you've you've had, you know? And um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, like, speaking uh, speaking of that girl that she's, like, sort of seen you from the start and now here, it's, it's a long transition and it'll be, I've been a big part of her life, you know? Um it's here. I'm conscious, Hannah, you, you and I could probably sit and speak for eight hours. Um, we have yeah, already, I think so. already spoken for over an hour. Um, yeah. But it sort of flies by. It's always good fun. Uh, but one more sort of thing before before the, the sort of parting questions I always ask. Um, tell us about the charities. You say charities, but there seems to be quite a lot of charities. Tell us what you're involved in, in regards to charity. So I've recently, I'm now involved in four charities and but one's very new and I'm ambassador for all four of these charities. So the first one who I've been with since day one is Brook Action for Working Horses, Donkeys and Mules. Now I actually saw the Brook charity for short. I actually saw them when I went out to Egypt with my family when I was about 11 years old. I saw that like they were working with the donkeys who were trimming feet they were trimming like they're doing the dentistry and I always since then since I was 11 I thought they were a very inspiring charity because they were out working in the field now I've been so lucky because I've like spotted that charity from a young age and then I was actually asked to get involved in a campaign with them on social media they were trying to raise um, a large amount of money because of the drought, drought in Kenya they couldn't get water to the donkeys or the people so I got involved in that campaign online with them it went really well they raised £20,000 within like sort of five days um, and that was like sort of with mine and little Alf's help and then after that I was invited to London and then to become ambassador for the charity and I've been ambassador for them now for must be like six seven eight years and got some really exciting projects with them going on this year um and they've actually been down to kenya um at down out <laughs> not gone down south been down, 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 down to kenya to see their work in action and they are so like rewarding that the help they're doing is unbelievable and how they help not just the donkeys but the communities in there that is really good so heavily involved in those I had a big meet with them today and they're just so lovely people as well and they're just there for the best interest in the animal so ambassador for those um an ambassador for helping rhinos again very small small charity in the sense of a small team but they have all sort of the time in the world to help rhinos um sort of stop rhino poaching and that sort of background with me, I've always loved animals, but I like wildlife and conservation animals. Um, and I actually did my wildlife and conservation level three qualification. Don't know why, I just like, I just like wildlife. Um, and I actually have a brand called um, Wild, um, keeps changing, but it's called Wildlife Wear at the moment. And it's um, it started off primarily being called Russell Rhino and it helped raise funds for helping rhinos. So that's all started in 2018. So then I became ambassador of helping rhinos. And then I'm also ambassador for wild welfare and they are so good again. I mean, I can't 
talk about charity stuff they're brilliant but yeah. I'm ambassador for them and they help um sort of enrich animals lives in zoos um sort of aquariums and sort of like centers and I've worked for them for two years now um and they, again they're doing brilliant brilliant things all the time they're helping animals get better lives um so they're all very animal based and then the final one I've just become ambassador for the Yorkshire Dales Millennium Trust I've just learned to say millennium I've been trying to say it for ages like millennium but I have got a speech coming up so I need to be able to say it so it's been like taking me ages to be able to say that word. But honestly, to my work experience students were like, you're still not saying it right. And I was like, I'm trying. Um, and <laughs> I'm sure it all will work. Yeah, they help people sort of in the Oxdales, they help sort of the planted trees, they're helping the landscape, they're helping the outdoors. And that is very much what I'm about. It's wildlife and outdoors. And so I'm ambassador for those charities. And I always believe if you've got a big following, you should help or you should raise awareness for causes you believe in because social media isn't great, but it could be used in a great way. Um, sort of just quickly touching base on the charity level, like ambassador for those four charities, so I'm sort of kept busy. But sort of between that, I've also worked with about like a lot of different charities. So the Sarcoma Cancer UK, sure. I raised a T-shirt uh, brand for them um, and helped worked on a campaign for them. And that went really, really well. And they still sell to this day. And all the profits for anything I do with charity, 100% of the profits always go to charity because, you know, that's what it's about. You're not there to make a business out of it. Um, so I've done a lot of work with them and worked on campaigns, worked on cancer research, worked with my charity, um, all on different campaigns. And being an animal lover, when the Australian wildfires, and they said flowers and fires were going <laughs> off, I um, I've launched and designed a t-shirt brand again uh, with koalas on the front to try and raise awareness for the, the wildfires. And then within sort of five days of launching, it raised £5,000. Within two weeks, it raised 20000 And it was just unbelievable. And, you know, that money to this day, it's raised thousands. But it went on to build shelters for the animals, medicine for the animals, and get them the care they needed. And, like, that to me is just so rewarding and it shows the powers of social media. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty pro social media in fairness. I know there's an issue, there's issues with it, but I like to look at the potential positivity. Um, no, you're brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. It's, it's, it's inspiring to listen to, actually. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will agree. Um, <clears throat> there's two questions I sort of uh, finish off every podcast with, if you will, and, and one of them, if I had asked you five years ago, I'm pretty sure you'd have known exactly. I'm quite interested to hear if that's still going to be the case. The first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one, and I don't really know exactly how to do this because you've done about four million things, is <laughs> if you had any tips for fo for people getting into, let's say, what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <What would> <laughs> So I think like the question for what will I be doing in five years time? How old will I be? 31? God knows. Um, what will I be doing? I'm hoping that I'll be have more books published, be more well known in the writing world. Um, but also I think what would be nice, how, where I see myself in five years time is the centre I built or I'm building, not built it yet, and building, I want it to be very based around therapy, intervention and well-being. I want to be able to connect with more people and animals and sort of show that development, like, you know, whether it's somebody who's getting over something or going through something, they can come here and feel like it's a sensory experience and they get something out of it when they leave. Um, that is a big thing for me and I think if I can achieve that 
in five years time and that will be amazing but I'm really happy where I am so just see what happens you never know what's going to happen about corner if I do what I'm doing now for three years and go off and do something else and I've achieved that so I'll just see what happens live for every day um and I think like for tips for you know if you've got any tips for getting into what I'm doing I think from the animal point of view on the small holding if you're obviously passionate about animals go get some animal qualifications do as much as you can because you never stop learning any business you do you never stop learning about animals you never stop learning about people and I think for from the animal point of view if you want to be an animal instructor or you want to teach people animal-based stuff you know you're a lecturer so you're you know the same thing go do as much learning as you can um but then from the writing perspective if you enjoy writing if you've got a story in you write it like do it put it on paper carry a notebook with you write down your ideas you know and I think like you don't need necessary publishers to sort of get published and stuff you don't need to do that I think if you start a blog and you enjoy writing then that's a good way to get into it start blogging start putting it out there don't matter if not everyone likes it the right people will follow you and if it's meant to be it'll be um so just just go for that and just start small and then grow big that's a good one I like that just yeah I think the start small grow big is so important I think so many people I have not got a following of any massive note I think it's about 8,000 across everything um but people sort of ask like what do you do to get to that or how do you get podcast views or whatever and I'm like don't focus on that because you won't get there yeah <laughs> that's it it's so true because <clears throat> last year I had 21,000 followers on my Facebook page and I was like so excited on getting more followers because that would get more buyers and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, I just couldn't be bothered. I thought yeah. I cannot be bothered to grow this social media. Even my own Instagram last year had 2,000 followers. And I just thought, I can't be bothered because I thought, what's the point? Like, there's just no point, like, because it's just yeah. so hard. And then literally, within a year, got 51,000 followers and getting, like, 2 million views a month yeah. on my website. And it's just like, it's when you don't care. Just put yeah. your cash to your careers it's when it happens like even my personal instagram which is down i think is hannah russell outdoors that's got like seven thousand now it's growing all the time and it's just like well actually when you just don't care you don't put all your eggs in that basket it just grows naturally let, let it be organic because i don't oh. like for me adverts and actually paying for business adverts have never actually worked so it's just like just let it grow organically because then the algorithms it's another big word um that's how they that's how they work mm. No, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And folk buy into reality, they buy into sort of passion and whatnot. If you're pushing a, a narrative, they're like, they, most people notice that. Um, so, yeah, no, brilliant, good stuff. Fair enjoyed that, actually, Hannah. And there's one thing I meant to say when you were mentioning about the rhino side of things. Do you know Bizza Walters? No, I don't think I do. So look her up on Instagram uh, or listen to a podcast I did with her. I think it was number 80. I uh, Bizza worked with with rhinos in South Africa. Um, and it was really interesting. She, her, her ex-partner was South African. Um, it was really interesting to hear her side of it because she was like, you know, you're speaking to, to folk in the pub that are just letting poachers go through because they might be earning X amount of money a year, but these, these poachers will give these people 10 times that one-off payment. And you're like, you can almost, you're like, oh my God, I can't. I can't dispute that it's going to feed the family for however long and all this and then she was sort of looking at the the 
the legalizing of ivory and, and the potential ways that this can be can be done in a in a sort of welfare aware way. It's really interesting, actually. So um, yeah, I'll have a listen. I wrote that down actually in my notebook here, so I'll, I'll have a listen to that because I yeah. find any. I love podcasts now. I think podcasts yeah. are becoming such a big thing in today's day and age. In the last year. I've heard about podcasts popping up and they are so good to listen to. People's stories, I love. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's so cool. And I mean, like, I don't listen to anything because I do this. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Wait, so. yeah, that's funny, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I do, I don't do sort of animal based stuff outside of like no. my yeah. career now. And it's like, well, don't you? And it's like, well, no, because I do it for work. So why would you go off yeah. and do it? And it's funny, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I completely get that. No, absolutely, absolutely. But no, here, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being really raw with a lot of the stuff you spoke about as well. It's much appreciated. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it yourself, first of all. I have uh, loved it. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you for having me. I think you're brilliant at what you do. And I think you, you bring it out of people. And also, it's like you give the confidence to people there to talk, which is lovely. Hannah, you're going to make me cry. Uh... Cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. For those of you listening, that was R2Cast 101. I guess the next target now is a thousand. Amazing. <laughs> that. Dream um, big. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I couldn't tell you who the next episode is because I don't think I filmed it. But the next episode of the R2 Cast All In is Dylan Goodison. I think the next episode of the R2 Cast People in Farming might be Johan Humphreys. I don't know how this is going to go logistically, having two series on the go. I don't know if it's just going to be, I'm going to release whichever episode is filmed first or if I'm going to try and keep the all-in ones on every second Monday. I tried to do that for the group podcast. It lasted about a week because I'm very organised but don't like when I feel like there's an easier way. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Yeah, so thank you very much for listening, Hannah. Thank you for your time. And uh, we shall see you all next week. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.